John's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of his inmost being, will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I want to set the scene for you. Jesus was his custom to attend all the major religious feasts and festivals of his day and uh, three times a year that would happen different festivals in the in the temple and Jesus was there and uh, the feast of the tabernacles was a very joyful occasion it wasn't didn't have the same depth of solemnity as some of the other feasts uh, there around uh, passover for example and 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 the um, the day of atonement and, and and all of that so it was a joyful time and and over the years, we read about how it was instituted back in the Old Testament, but over the years, the Jewish people developed different ways of, of celebrating that, and, and certain traditions developed, and we understand that at the time of Jesus, the way the, the feast was celebrated on the last day, which was the most important day, was that the priests held a very special procession they would go and draw water from the pool of Siloam and carry water back into the temple compound and walk around the altar seven times and then pour out that water onto the dry ground of the temple. And by that, they were calling Israel to remember the wandering in the wilderness when they went round and round the desert for those 40 years. And during that time, God never failed them. And one of the most important things you can imagine that you need in a wilderness, in a desert, is water. And there were occasions where they had absolutely no water, no water supply at all. But God provided that water. And he provided the water from the rock. And so when they were pouring out water, they were saying, remember how God gave us water in the midst of the wilderness. And so I kind of imagine that it was exactly that point when it was as if Jesus could take, take it no more, could bear it no longer. Imagine what was happening. There they were enacting a religious ritual that was full of significance and imagery speaking louder than words that God is the faithful God, that he will give to his people the water of life, whatever their circumstances, and he would take care of his people, and ultimately there would come one who is Messiah, and he would be one who would give to them the gift of the Spirit. And, and, and Jesus in himself must have been saying, don't these people know who I am? 
How ironic that they are enacting something in the presence of the very one who is the Lord, the giver of life, the one who said, he that comes to me shall never hunger. I am the bread of life. He that drinks from me shall never thirst again. I am the water of life. And I kind of imagine that it was like this, that Jesus could bear it no longer. And so he stands up and cries out in a loud voice saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now imagine what that would have done. All religious ceremonies, you know, they can be joyful and so forth, but there is a decorum, there is an order, and, and nobody wants to be interrupted. And, and I should imagine that the, the temple servants would be very quickly uh, uh, ready to get out there, the stewards of the day, to say, be quiet, you can't disturb the priests and all their sacred holy duties. But Jesus persisted and said, if you believe in me, out of your inmost being shall flow rivers of living water. And, and what was it that perhaps might have frustrated Jesus a bit? And it's very, very important for us to understand. This tells us that no matter how developed your religious system is, no matter how influential it is in your society, no matter how globalized your religion may be, without the Holy Spirit, it is nothing. And the other thing that seems to me to be so extraordinary and extremely bold is how Jesus points them to himself. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. What an extraordinary claim, high claim indeed, saying, if you are thirsty, and he was not talking about physical thirst, if you are spiritually thirsty, then there is one place where you can come, and that is me. Come to me and drink. He was saying, I am the fountain of living waters. And that was a claim, not just to being Messiah, but also to being God. Because the Old Testament makes it very, very clear that God is the fountain of living waters. And that when we come to God and worship God, we are coming to the only source that can bring us spiritual satisfaction and, and also any other kind of lasting satisfaction. So Jesus was claiming to be God, to be Messiah, and also the only way to the Father. He didn't say, whoever is thirsty, I'll give you six addresses where you can go and get a good drink. He didn't say, go anywhere else. He said, come to me. And he didn't even say, go first of all to somebody else and they'll introduce you to me. Jesus said, come directly to me. Jesus does not put anyone between himself and you. No one, either living or dead, can stand between you and Jesus. Nobody, nobody can do that. Nobody can do it. Many religious systems put all kinds of impediments. In order to be satisfied, in order to have a spiritual life, you have to perform this or that or the other. No, no, no. Jesus has come to me. He, is a, he made a welcome. He said, my heart is open. My door is open. Come to me. He says this so many times in the Bible in terms which are so appealing and, and they're so attractive. Like here, if you're thirsty... And if you know what it is to be really thirsty, really thirsty, then you, you, all you can think of is where can I find something to quench my thirst? 
And Jesus says, come to me, come to me. On another occasion, Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy. My yoke is easy. I am meek. I'm gentle of heart. There is nothing to be afraid of. When you talk about Jesus, he is God's invitation, God's invitation for you to come to him. And Jesus is the only one who can represent the Father to you. And you need nobody to represent you to Jesus. You come yourself. You come yourself. You come just as you are. The only condition here, he says, you got to be thirsty. you got to be thirsty. If, you, if you're not thirsty, then you're not going to want to drink. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, that's the only condition. And that is the condition in which we recognize that there is a deep spiritual thirst on the inside of us that nobody can satisfy, that there can be no substitute satisfaction in any way whatsoever. We know, and, and sometimes people go through the whole life to discover the reality of this. There's no family member, no mother, no brother, no, 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 no friend, no husband, no wife, no job, no success, no amount of money, no amount of recognition. Nothing can truly satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. And so if you today are thirsty, let me ask you, is anyone thirsty? Yes. Well, you're not very thirsty. <laughs> I'll give you another go. Is anyone thirsty today? Yes. Wow. You are a walking miracle <laughs> to know you're thirsty. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because that's the difference between us and them. We know we're thirsty. And we know the nature of that thirst is spiritual. All the world without God lives in dissatisfaction, in spiritual dissatisfaction. But they try to fill that gap with so many things, material things perhaps, positions of influence perhaps, relationships frequently, and even religion itself. People pursue all manner of religions because they know there is something missing in their life but they do not know where to direct their thirst. That's the miracle of being a believer in Christ. You know you're thirsty and you know where to get a drink. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. This thirst for spirit is a, is a universal experience. I'm not saying that everybody is conscious of it. But if you look at people's lives and ask them what are they looking for, you will discover that there's something they're in pursuit of to bring deep satisfaction. And when we understand that the real thirst is spiritual, that there's a deep inner thirst, an inner longing for water, an inner longing for the water of life, we recognize that the true thirst is thirst for spirit. God is spirit. And they that worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. But there is a history here. If you have a look at Jeremiah 2, verse 5, 
we find that there's something at work which even here today, both in the pulpit and in the pew, we need to deal with. What's it talking about? Jeremiah is prophesying and he's speaking the words of God. God gives him a question to ask the people of Judah. Jeremiah 2 verse 5. What injustice have your fathers found in me? That they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters. So here we have a picture, first of all, of finding fault with God. Secondly, distancing yourself from God. And thirdly, looking for substitutes for God. The Bible calls that idolatry. But it's a pretty ugly history. The fact is, it's all our history. And until we stop finding fault with God and saying, God, I believe that you are the fountain of living waters, that there can be no satisfaction outside of you. There's no other river. There's no other container. There's no other flow. Nothing else but you can satisfy my thirst for spirit. And you are a good and loving God. And you want me to come and drink at the fountain of living waters. Until we get there, we will always be a little bit distant from God. But he specifies a little bit more. Jeremiah 2, verse 13. Just in the same passage, moving on a bit, God takes up the word again, and he explains, my people have committed two sins, two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Well, let's um, deal with this word cistern because it's not a word that we use. How is your cistern? We don't use it often. It just means a water tank, okay? It just means a tank, okay? A tank. And so he says, this is a twofold sin. First of all, you, you, you've turned away from me, who, uh, who, who is the only one the only fountain of living water. And you've pursued, in place of me, other things where you falsely believe you will find satisfaction. Now this is becoming very, very plain. Is that not your story? It certainly is my story. And it's the story of every individual person who has somehow got such a wrong view of God that he is unable, unwilling, in any way cannot really satisfy and that we in our human so-called wisdom think we know better. So the whole story in the pursuit of things, whether they are sinful in and of themselves or only that which we believe can replace God, idolatrous, 
We go in that direction because we believe there we're going to find that satisfaction. Let, let me suppose that we had a bunch of people up here, and this represented a wilderness, a desert, very, very dry, no water, nothing. We, we are really, literally dying of thirst. And then somebody says... Water is found in this direction, just three miles in that direction. If you can make it there, it's going to be okay because there is a well, there is an oasis, there's water in this just three miles. And suppose you believe them. Which direction are you going to go? If you believe them, you're going to say, wow, that's fantastic. Let's go. You will go in the direction where you believe your thirst is going to be satisfied. And that's the spiritual dynamic behind every choice in our life. When we have a choice to go in one direction or another direction, we will choose always the direction where we believe our needs will be satisfied, where our thirst will be quenched, where our deep longings will be fulfilled. We believe we will go in the direction set by our beliefs. Is that not right? Yes. Now suppose there was somebody else saying, no, don't listen to this person, he's a liar, he wants you to die, this is some kind of sick joke to tell you there is water in that direction, he is lying, he is deceiving, no, the true water is found three miles in the opposite direction, come follow me, I will take you there. Your dilemma would be who would you believe? Is that all right? But if the good person was unable to convince you that there was a, di a direction of deceit. You would go in that direction and not only would you be deceived, but you would perish. But if you believe the good person giving you good news and telling you the truth and you say, okay, I, I know there's a lot of conflict here, but I believe that you're telling the truth. I will go in the direction you say because I believe that at the, in that direction is what I'm looking for, the satisfaction that I'm looking for. And the truth is there is that good person and that bad person struggling inside. Is that not right? There is the enemy who is the liar, the deceiver, who wants to destroy. And he will tell you as many lies as is necessary until you are convinced that by disobeying God and living your own life, you're going to get real satisfaction. That's why Christians sometimes backslide. Because they say, do you know what? I believe the world can satisfy me. So many young people say, do you know what? I, I was brought up in a Christian faith, in the Christian church, and, and I'm, I was a believer in my parents, but you know, I just wanted to go out and taste and see something. Uh, and before they know where they are, they're bought into the lie of idolatry, and they are seeking to be satisfied with things that can never satisfy. It's tragic, but without pointing the finger, that struggle goes on inside of every single one of us when we're faced with choices. 
And that's why the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let all that deceit go and know for a truth that Jesus Christ and him alone, his ways, following him is the path to life and drinking from the fountains that he gives you is the only true source of spiritual satisfaction and eternal life. And every time a man or a woman stands either in public preaching or in private testimony and says, I know a man who can give you life. And if you come with me, you will find eternal life in him. And there's always a struggle. Maybe there's a struggle today in some of your hearts. You don't know. Let me tell you, as a representative of the, of the, of the, of the, of the church of Jesus Christ and, and a preacher and proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And my evidence is what he said here. If you are thirsty, come to me and drink. And if you can believe that today and say, yes, I want to come to Jesus. I want to come and drink of Jesus. You can do it right here and right now. And say, Jesus, I receive. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to drink the water of life. And I'm going to believe that when you said... I am the water of life, and he that drinks from me shall never thirst again. I will find deep and lasting satisfaction. By the way, don't think that that means you'll have all your personal needs and desires fulfilled. Part of Christian maturity, and indeed adult maturity, is to know you don't always get what you want. Life doesn't always work the way you want it to do. And God is not the magic genie who pops out after the rubbing of prayer saying, Yea, oh my master, what can I do for you today? It's exactly the opposite. He is Lord. And Christian maturity and discipleship is saying, God, what can I do for you? What's your will? And that's not easy. That's why we need each other. And in those small cell group fellowships, we have time to say, do you know what? I'm, I'm struggling here. I've been offered a, offered a job, and it's a great job. It's a lot of money. But, you know, I'm not exactly comfortable with what the company wants me to do. I have to actually bend the truth just a little bit. I'm struggling with this. And they will say, well, let's, let's pray about it. And they'll encourage you. And they won't force you and say, you know, you better do this or else you're out. You know, it is said that some, in some cell groups, three strikes and you're out. <laughs> Other cell groups, you, one strike and you're out. And in others, you don't even get a chance to strike. <laughs> but that's not what this is about. There's no coercion. It's cooperation and sharing together and helping one another, particularly in line with the verses I'm speaking to you about today. Because Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So let's, let's just stop there. Because there's a whole bunch of religious stuff that can get in the way here. Jesus wants you to drink. He wants you to have your needs met. 
He wants you to be blessed. And actually, this coming to him and drinking, it's an invitation, but it actually is stronger than that. It's a command. Come on and drink. And that's not just a sip here and a sip there and a whole lot of sips once a week in a Sunday service and never to sip again. This is talking about a continual relationship in which on every occasion, every possible occasion, we come before Jesus and drink. I hope you're drinking today. Amen. Hope you're drinking today. Hope, you, hope already today you have discovered what it is to, when we worship to drink afresh. When we're hearing the word of God, sometimes people even talk about drinking it in. Have you ever heard somebody speak in such a way that you just drink it in? I hope you're drinking it in today. I've got nothing bad to say. Today I've got nothing to make you feel like, oh my, I wish I'd skipped this service today. I'm talking about you together with me, together with Jesus, with total permission to come and take and eat and drink and enjoy his wonderful presence. I say there's a sometimes a lot of religious stuff that gets in the way is because, you know, as soon as you're sitting down, you say, what are you doing? I'm drinking. Drinking? What are you doing drinking? You should be up there, out there. You should be evangelizing. You should be doing some good works. You should be doing this or doing that or doing the other. You should be studying your Bible. You should be doing all these things. And it just seems that there's always one religious person, whatever you are doing, who disapproves of it. I mean, after all, if you were out there evangelizing all the time, they'd be saying, what are you doing out here evangelizing all the time? You should spend more time with the Lord. You should go go home and have another drink. You will never please religious people. And I like Jesus because it's not either or with him. It's both and, as we shall see. But we begin here. Just come to me and drink. This means come and be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. Come and drink and keep on drinking of the water of life. One thing we know, yesterday's one liter of chilled water. I'm clever, aren't I, to say all this on such a hot day? But uh, it's a bit unfair because uh, I'm preaching myself thirsty and uh, you might have to wait unless, unless you want some. Yesterday's glass of water was not good enough for today. When you woke up this morning, the first thing, maybe the second thing you did, we won't go into that, but the first thing you did was take a drink. Glass of water, maybe you are a tea person, or maybe you're a coffee person, maybe you are caffeine-free, uh, or whatever you are, maybe you have some kind of, see, you're so thirsty you drink, be, I, I tell you what, we could make a fortune right now by just selling bottles of water in the street. <laughs> We're not going to do that. Hallelujah. Yesterday's drink from the Holy Spirit was good for yesterday, but today we need to drink again. We need to drink again. In our meetings, then we come together, whatever else we do, we drink afresh. Whatever else we do, we do a lot of things, but whatever else we do, we drink. When we meet in our cell groups, we drink. When we share prayer and fellowship together, we drink. 
when you come before God on your own in your own personal devotion, you do all kinds of things. I hope you do. Hope you read your Bible. I hope you pray. I hope you study. I hope you reflect. I hope you apply the word of God to you. I hope you write down what Jesus tells you. I hope you also put some of that set practical steps and, and, and all that. But whatever else you do, always drink. And that's what refreshes you. That's what refreshes you. Now, you would expect that kind of drinking and dependence on the Holy Spirit to be important in Christian ministry. I'm sure you would expect that today, while I am speaking, I'm also talking to the Holy Spirit. You can't see my lips move, but if you could hear what's going on in my spirit, it would be something like this. Oh God, help me. Oh God, help me. Oh God, help me. Refresh me. Strengthen me. Anoint me. Fill me. Yeah? Amen. Amen. Well, what about you? Is it just for the public perspex platform presentations? Or is this for you? I think it's for everybody. All the time. When you leave from here, don't leave thirsty. Keep drinking. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, drink. Not just water, but of the Holy Spirit. It's a metaphor, of course. And wherever you go, you, you need to be full of the Spirit. You need to be in dependence on the Holy Spirit. And you, your human wisdom isn't enough. What is it that gives an edge? And somebody next to you at work knows as much as you do, maybe even more than you do, what's the edge? Depend on the Holy Spirit. And you will find that you will have a wisdom beyond your own. You will have an ability and a, a strength and a, an invisible attraction about you that will draw people to Christ. We need it everywhere. That's why I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't stop with verse 37 saying, come to me and drink. Good to see our talking hand friends here today. Um, I'm sure though I don't speak sign language, you will understand what I'm, what I'm saying now. Let's take another drink. But he doesn't stop there. Don't ever be guilty about drinking of the Holy Spirit. Keep drinking. Get satisfied. And, and drink again. And drink again. And drink again. And something happens on the inside of you. You begin to be filled. And then when you are full, don't stop drinking. Because there are no toxic levels and limits of the Holy Spirit. You can never have too much. There is always more that he has to give you. So, on ne doit pas arrêter après nous sommes pleins. Nous devons continuer à bouver jusqu'à se déborder la puissance de Saint-Esprit. 
Sorry about that. I... Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was preaching on this in France. Okay. So what, I, what I'm saying, you don't stop when you think you're full. You keep on drinking and drinking until you overflow. And when you overflow, something happens not just to you, but to the people around you. Something happens not just to the own spiritual atmosphere in your internal private life. Something happens that affects the atmosphere around you. And this is what verse 38 goes on to say. He that believes in me out, everybody say out. Out of your inmost being shall flow rivers, plural. Not one river, many rivers. Many rivers, rivers of living water out of your inmost being. The word in the New King James is out of your heart. In the NIV, it is out of your inmost being. And both are accurate in the way, but the actual Greek word here is out of your belly. Your belly. And, and, and the Greek word for belly is linked to the word for container like a tank. So every one of us has a tank on the inside here. Some of you, I see it's half a liter. Some of you, I see the capacity is two liters. And I see one or two five liter tanks around the place. And that's the word for belly. Now, Jesus obviously was not referring to our spiritual, to our physical container, but to the spiritual one. And what he's saying here is that you are made in my image and I have given you a capacity to be in spiritual communion with me and I have created within you a, that capacity is like a tank and without me it is empty. And nothing can fill it but me. One of the early church fathers said, there is a God-shaped hole in every person's heart that only God can fill. This is it right there. So Jesus says, drink and drink and drink until you are overflowing and you will discover the second part kicks in. Something begins to happen through you. Not just to you, but through you. And it's a promise. He that believes in me out of his belly, out of his spiritual container, spiritual personality, out of that spiritual depth of your being shall flow rivers of living water. Just imagine it. It's what Jesus says. So we can take him as, as, as his word. So when you leave here today, rivers are flowing. When you go into your office, rivers are flowing. And, and rivers flow into dry places. That's what it's all about. The whole picture of the pouring out of water. The whole picture of Messiah being the one who would give the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. And the gift of the Spirit was that he should transform our spiritual wilderness into a garden of delight by his presence. You don't know how much influence you have simply by loving Jesus. You have no idea. I wish somehow we could have a sort of spiritual discernment 
and you would know that there is no place ever where you go without leaving an impact for Christ. No place. In fact, your presence, particularly as we cooperate with this principle, your presence will change the atmosphere in your office. Your presence will change the atmosphere in your home because wherever you go, God causes living water to flow from you to the dry places. Now, when I talked a moment ago about cooperating, obviously the clock is not cooperating with me. (laughs) Could you just go and correct that clock? It's about 25 minutes too fast, I think. Okay, we'll try and come in and land here because I want us to come back and worship God. We want to drink again before we leave this place. Cooperate with us. I mean, actually realizing that we are called to take in, to receive, and to pass it on. That's the the two parts of the cell vision is we come together to build one another up and that same group also evangelizes and reaches out. And the first part is happening so well. The second part, we need to remind ourselves, all it is is just, is just turning outwards and start thinking of other people. I was saying in the nine o'clock service, you know, Amanda and I, we have two lovely dogs. Maybe one day you'll meet, you'll meet them. One's, one's a very naughty dog. That's Amanda's one, man. <laughs> and, um, but on, a, on, a, on hot days, on every day in fact, but on hot days, the little dogs have a good way of communicating that they're thirsty. I wish we could be as free as they are. They just let the tongue hang right out. So <laughs> <laughs> are you thirsty? <laughs> yeah, you don't say anything. Just look at me. I, and who would not... Having gone to the kitchen or to the fridge and poured yourself cool, refreshing, bubbly, whether it's Adam's wine without gas or Adam's champagne, which is un peu gazeuse or whatever it is, whether it's still or whether it is bubbly, you will take it and you will drink and then the little dogs are... <laughs> Who would not say, ah, come on, I'll give you some water as well. We would all give water to a dog. How much more should we discern the spiritually thirsty? Now, not dogs, your friends, your family, the people around you who are living in the barrenness of life apart from God, who are still pursuing their satisfaction in idolatrous ways that can never satisfy, broken water tanks that can hold no water. How much more should we say, come, drink of the water of life, the water that Jesus gives, that's flowing in me. I know it, you can know it as well, and let him touch your life. You would want to do that. And the great thing about this, I'm trying, to fin- I'm trying to finish right now, the great thing about that is that it's not all about your own effort. Now, I'm, I'm saying we've got to do stuff, 
I think it's important to learn and prepare. I spent the whole week studying, um, and one of the things I can do is when I go away and there's not so much demands upon my time, I had various duties to perform, meetings to hold, but for a lot of time I was able to spend time with God and read and study, and I do everything I can to prepare myself so that I understand and, and study hard, no doubt about that, and, and learn and keep on learning. But this that I'm talking about goes way beyond any of that. This is when you just allow him to flow from your life. Yes, you're right. Can you come on now? Just make it quick so that we're ready, ready to sing in, 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 in a moment. And it's almost as, I don't want to exaggerate it so that you get the wrong idea that I oversimplify it. But you know, when you walk, Jesus walks with you. When you drink and are filled, the spirit overflows from your life and automatically flows into dry places. Some of the things we know about how water works, number one, water finds the lowest place. So when you're humble before God, he's gonna fill you. Something else we know is that water is absorbed in dry places. And so when there is water, the dryness around soaks it in. And that's what it's like. The, the people almost draw from you what you have because they are thirsty. If you're thirsty today, praise God, and you know it because we're going to have another drink before we go. But let me tell you, the people around you are also thirsty. And the whole purpose of us drinking is that we would be able to offer the sweet, satisfying, cool, liberating, life-giving, fresh water of God. Amaji Yamungu. That's Swahili. Got you there. The water of God.